welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 22 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen. I'm the director of STEM Positive and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Anne Lennon. Anne's passionate about social enterprise and its potential to deliver widespread change. Having experienced firsthand the difficulties facing Australia's social entrepreneurs in starting and growing a social enterprise, she co-founded Social Change Central, Australia's first dedicated online resource hub for social entrepreneurs. Its mission is to connect Australia's social entrepreneurs with the critical support they need to convert their ideas for social change into real social impact. Anne is also General Manager of Social Enterprise Development and Investment at award-winning social enterprise Fitted for Work, which helps women experiencing disadvantage get work and achieve financial independence. Prior to moving full-time into the social enterprise sector, Anne spent eight years working as a corporate lawyer in a leading international law firm. And in 2015, Anne was selected as a leader for social change by the Centre for Social Impact and in 2016 was selected as an ANZ Nexus Innovator of the Year finalist. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Anne's journey as she shares her experience working in the social enterprise sector. We'll get Anne's insights and perspective on social innovation opportunities, and we'll hear what Anne believes can be done by governments and the private sector to create stronger opportunities for positive social change. Anne, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. And could you please share a little bit about your background and what led you to work in the social enterprise sector? Sure. Well, as your listeners can probably hear from my accent, I wasn't born in Australia. I was born in Ireland and I came to Australia five years ago. I grew up in Dublin. I'm the eldest of three. And growing up, we had a family manufacturing business, which my sister and my brother and I worked in during the school holidays and sometimes at weekends. And my dad is incredibly creative entrepreneurial he's always designing better and more efficient ways of doing things always sketching and designing on the back of napkins and whatnot and yeah. I think really where I got my you know my creative flair from and my interest in business and I went to a state school just down the road from my house and I, I did really well there and I wasn't really sure though what I wanted to do when I finished school I suppose as well as getting a really you know, strong work ethic from my family I also yeah got a really strong sense of justice and social justice and knew that I wanted to make a difference in the world but wasn't really sure what I should study or what I should do and so like a lot of people I went to a career guidance counsellor and she looked at my grades and said you know you're good at writing what about law mm. I hadn't really thought about it before and but I just kind of went with it and you know I did well at uni and got a place in a in a top tier law firm where I worked for gosh nearly eight years and Although I really enjoyed the people that I worked with and I, I got some great skills, I found that the work itself didn't really fulfill me. It didn't really match my values. Mm. It wasn't really what I had set out to do. 
you know, on any given day, I'd open a file and it would be you know, the big guy versus the little guy. And in the big corporate law firm, you're, you know, you're going to be representing the, the big guy. And yeah, yeah I, I came kind of quite unhappy in, in my work and tried to find meaning outside of work. And I suppose there's only so much of that that you can do when you're you know, working in a corporate job, you know, often yeah. working really hours up till midnight sometimes. But I did try to get involved in the community as much as I could. So I got involved in a pro bono legal advice center. I served on a number of not-for-profit boards and got involved in some mentoring programs of disadvantaged children and um, uni students. So, mm. you know, I did as much as I could, but, you know, I spent a lot of time as well Googling jobs for lawyers, yeah. you know, non-law jobs for lawyers. It's amazing. This whole industry built up, especially in, in the UK and Ireland around around that, you know, like mm. life after law and leaving the city, uk and, yeah. you know, it's, it's uh, flourishing. But um, I met my my now husband David in 2009 and he had talked about going to Melbourne and so it sounded like a, a good idea to me yeah. as well but, and we both set off in September 2011 and landed in Melbourne and what I found was that when I landed in Melbourne that kind of anonymity that comes with not just moving city but moving continent really gave me a great deal of courage and mm. um, courage to step outside my comfort zone and take that first full-time role in the not-for-profit sector and I suppose we'll talk about that a little bit later but for me when I arrived particularly at that time I was just so inspired by all the activity that was taking place around social enterprise particularly in Melbourne yeah yeah yeah, for me social enterprise is just it's the perfect sweet spot between the business brain and the charity heart and I'm so passionate about the potential of social enterprise to deliver sustainable change yeah, well, that's that's a great story, Anne, and and you certainly live in a in a very inspiring city. So, could you please share or explain a little bit more about the online hub called Social Change Central, which you founded with Jay Bulkin? I met Jay back in April 2016 at the Nexus Youth Summit in Sydney, and we both experienced firsthand in working on our own social enterprise projects just how difficult it is to find the support needed to start and grow a social enterprise in Australia. Mm. And I'm sure many of your listeners have experienced the same thing. It's really frustrating. The ecosystem is very fragmented. Yeah. And, you know, the information is just all over the place. It's in closed Facebook groups. It's in organization-specific websites and newsletters. And, you know, we saw firsthand just how many you know, thousands of man-hours are being wasted and work being duplicated in simply searching for the support and resources needed to start and grow a social enterprise. Mm. And at worst, you know, many of our most promising social entrepreneurs just aren't finding the support that they need. So yeah. you've got potential life-changing ideas just staying just that, you know, great ideas. Mm. So Jay and I decided that we wanted to solve that problem. So we launched Social Change Central in November 2016. And Social Change Central, as you mentioned, it's Australia's first dedicated online resource hub for social entrepreneurs. And so our mission is simple it's to connect social enterprises with the support that they need yep. it's a really cool resource what we do is we research and aggregate the most up-to-date social enterprise opportunities available so it's a really practical resource and what we do is we research and aggregate the most up-to-date social enterprise opportunities available both in australia and around the world so that's everything from funding to awards competitions programs you know exposure like this podcast and um, even co-working spaces mm. Essentially, it's like it's a self-service portal. So members can log on and create a personal profile and then filter opportunities by various categories relevant to their enterprise. Yep. And 
the track deadline. So basically, we do the research so that our members can focus more on their core mission. It's fantastic resource, Anne. So within Australia, where do you see the most potential for social innovation? And are there any particular social or environmental challenges that you're particularly passionate about? Um, well, I suppose it's a really broad question. Um, I think the potential for social innovation is, is everywhere. For me, I am personally really passionate about social innovation to tackle unemployment. Mm. You know, in Australia, we've got a low headline unemployment rate of less than 6%. But what that does is, like, it doesn't tell the full, full story. It masks the growing issue of long-term unemployment particularly for specific cohorts in the community, such as you know, newly arrived refugees, mm. disability, people exiting prison. And since the GFC, the number of people experiencing long-term unemployment has risen. You know, I saw a recent stat that showed that almost 2 million Australians now are either without work or without sufficient work. For me, like, I, I firmly believe that jobs are one of the best social programs. When someone has a job, so many of the other important parts of life fall into place, like secure housing, food, and social connection. Yeah. So using or harnessing social innovation to tackle unemployment, and particularly long-term unemployment, is an area that I'm particularly passionate about. And I really believe that what we need to be doing is working closer with the private sector employers to develop pathways to employment for these disadvantaged groups that I mentioned. And this is an area that I've worked in for the past five years as General Manager of Social Enterprise Development and Investment at, at Fitted for Work. Fantastic. So tell us more about that role, Anne, and how do you work to help women experiencing disadvantage? Sure. Well, um, I joined the organisation not too long after I arrived in Australia, so it was early 2011, and I'm very passionate about its mission and vision. So its mission is to help women experiencing disadvantage get work and keep it. Mm. And so not just getting them into work, it's helping them stay in work. So that keep it part is, is really important. Yeah. And the vision of the organization is financial independence for women. And really the focus on women is all about impact. You know, there's so much research worldwide, research to show that when we help a woman, we also help her children and her family and her community. So... Mm. The, and the wider economy. So the impact is really transformational. So at Fit of Work, the women are referred by over 300 different community organizations and they cover the whole spectrum of you know human experience. Yeah. Any of them are survivors of domestic violence, um, women with a disability, might be mature age women who don't have enough super to retire. Um, it could be an early school leaver. Many are single mothers. Yeah. And the one factor, though, that they absolutely all have in common is that they are determined to find work. Mm. Then the organization has grown over the last 10 years. So it has now 10 staff, sorry, 12 staff, and more than 250 volunteers. The Fit of Work services are all geared towards helping women experience a disadvantage, develop the skills and confidence to get work. So mm. the service that we're probably most well known for is our interview preparation and outfitting service where we outfit women in high-quality donated business clothing, mm -hmm. uh, women that are going for interview, and we, we coach them through the interview process. But Fantastic. since 2005, we've built on a whole other suite of services to that interview preparation and outfitting service. So we match women with a mentor uh, for six months, and often these mentors continue to work with women once they have found work as well. Um, we also run a series of work experience programs for our women. So you can imagine... You know, particularly, say, for a newly arrived refugee who comes into the country, they won't have any local referees 
And so to get them, you know, even two weeks of a, an admin job in one of our partner law firms, for example, mm. can make a world of difference for them in, in helping them to build their life in Australia. Yeah. My role, though, at, at Fit of Work was to help the organization become financially sustainable. You know, we always say to the women that come through the Fit of Work doors that what you need to be is financially independent. You need to have choices. Mm. And, you know, we as an organization, though, weren't doing that ourselves in that we were heavily reliant on donations and grants. And I'm sure many of your listeners are in this, the yeah. same boat as well, you know, yeah. which is just not, it's just not sustainable. And so I worked together with the team there to develop a number of new revenue streams for the organization. And we had a big focus on social enterprise. And so just two years ago, we launched SheWorks, which is a social enterprise that helps organizations to attract and retain female employees. Mm. So what we found is that there were lots of organizations, particularly those operating in male-dominated industries, that were looking to attract more women. And here we had you know, hundreds of women going through our programs yeah. uh, in Work Ready. So we did this kind of talent pool of Work Ready women. And so we developed a social enterprise around that. And we secured our first contract with Yara Trams, which was like a really big win for yeah. the organization. And what Yara Trams, so Yara Trams were looking to recruit more female tram drivers. And so we worked with our women and with Yara Trams to coach them through the interview process and assessment process, which is, which is a really, uh, which is a really difficult process. Actually, yeah. some of our staff members barked on it themselves <laughs> uh, just to test it out. But we managed to get 40 women experiencing disadvantage into tram driving roles over a period of a period of about 12 months. Fantastic. And so they're both a couple of really valuable services there. And you've spent, since 2011, working in Australia now within this social enterprise sector. So how have you seen a transform and change since you arrived in Australia? There's a real energy about the sector. Social enterprise is definitely on the rise. Um, last year, the Finding Australia's Social Enterprise Sector report was released by Social Traders and the Centre for Social Impact that was only the second census on social enterprise in Australia. But even even that showed that in the space of five years that the sector is really booming. There's now more than 20,000 enterprises operating across every sector of our economy. And I recall that 24% of the organisations survey, surveyed in that uh, report had been in operation for less than five years. And mm. that's... What we're, we're seeing similar trend at Social Change Central in terms of, of our members. But despite the growing interest, I still think there is overall low public awareness of social enterprise and it's still seen as somewhat niche. Mm. So recently there was a, a great initiative from my perspective by the Victorian government which launched Australia's first social enterprise strategy to improve sector support. So looking at social enterprise from a policy perspective then, what do you believe are the key steps that government need to take to help foster and support this sector? Yeah, great question. Um, I think, well, first off, it's really great to see the Victorian government creating a social enterprise strategy. Mm. You know, it's probably long overdue, but what I think we really need is a cohesive national agenda. Absolutely. You know, there hasn't been the same level of strategic support for social enterprise seen in the UK or in some other parts of of Europe, mm. I think what you know what we what we need is you know initiatives that are going to support the growth of the social enterprise ecosystem as a whole, as opposed to the support of individual social enterprises. Yeah, three key areas 
to focus on, I think, well, firstly, our access to finance, particularly at an entry level. Mm. You know, we need to ensure that there's a range of finance available from startup right through to the growth of large and established social enterprises. So, you know, I'm talking about a range of financial instruments from non-repayable investments through to different kinds of debt finance to equity. You know, there's a lot of talk at the moment, um, particularly in Victoria, around social impact investment. And a lot of our members talk to us about that as well. But what we're seeing is this this kind of a bottleneck in that, yes, there are lots of organizations, lots of social enterprises springing up around the country, but these organizations don't have track record of financial and social returns that impact investors are looking for. And so they're still relying on that philanthropic support to get their ideas off the ground. Mm. And the second area that I think is crucial is opening access to markets. So you know we want to see public bodies implementing social procurement strategies, ensuring that these are open to social enterprises to participate in and deliver social value. And private business can also play a part as well, of course. And, you know, great work has been done by Mark Daniels and David Brooks at Social Traders yeah. and, you know, the Queensland Social Enterprise Council and Joe Barquette at the Centre for Social Impact. So amazing, you know, progress has been made, but we definitely need more of it. Yeah, absolutely. So the third area that I think needs focus is the legal and regulatory framework. So mm. this could mean creating a new legal model for social enterprises like the Community Interest Company in the UK or introducing tax reliefs like the the new social investment tax again in the UK and so what that does is incentivize private investment into social enterprise. Mm. So you're talking about some really interesting initiatives then coming out of the UK. Are there any countries then that you believe are really leading the charge when it comes to social innovation Anne? and if so what are they doing that you think that we could adopt here in Australia? Yeah well the UK the UK is widely regarded as, as the international leader in social enterprise. I saw a recent stat that said that there are more than 70,000 social enterprises now operating in the UK mm. and contributing to over 5% of British GDP, which, which is pretty huge. Yeah. And I suppose the difference between the UK and Australia is that in the UK, over more than 15 years, successive governments have taken a consistently proactive approach to creating an enabling environment for social enterprise. Mm. So that started back with the, the Blair government in the 90s and the appointment of a social enterprise minister. Yeah. I think key factors that have contributed to the development of the UK's thriving social enterprise sector are things like the distinct community company legal form for social enterprise that I just mentioned, you know, yeah. the community press company, which enables social enterprises to access donations as well as private equity. Mm. That's a challenge that a lot of social entrepreneurs and particularly our members at Social Change Central talk to us about. Yeah. And the other uh, initiative that's contributed to the growth of social enterprise in the UK is the introduction of a widespread public procurement policy through the Social Value Act in 2012. And that requires public authorities to take into account wider social and environmental value when they choose suppliers. Mm. And the other I suppose, key factor is the establishment of a range of funds including a 600 million pound social enterprise capital fund to invest in social enterprises at different points in their life cycle so you know from that that scaling phase right down to that early startup phase which i mentioned mm. can be really difficult for social entrepreneurs starting out i think another interesting initiative is that social enterprise has been brought into the mainstream education system in the uk where it's now taught to students in secondary school mm. 
there's certainly some great initiatives there that perhaps our policymakers could take on then. So what advice would you give to businesses which would like to use their business models as a way to generate that positive social impact then? Um, great question. I think from what I've seen, social impact has to be part of your company's culture. It mm. can't be afterthought. So it has to be you know, led from the top, top down. Yeah. I think the best organizations, the most successful ones in this area, are those that have embedded social good throughout their business. So they're doing the right thing for their customers, for the community, and for their environment. And mm. that's not an easy thing to do, but I think that it is important that important for social enterprise to be embedded into each area of the organization. Mm. Uh, I think secondly, you need to be able to clearly define and communicate to your stakeholders what your social impact is. So you need to be very clear on why you're doing what you're doing and if successful, you know, what impact you're going to achieve. Absolutely. So what do you believe then are the fundamental ingredients then that perhaps a budding social entrepreneur or someone listening may need to get out there and to launch something which makes an impact? So at Social Change Central, we talk about the three C's being capital, counsel, and courage. So first you need the capital, um, even if it is just time, in order to test out your your business idea or your mm -hmm. business model. And you know that doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Like when Jay and I were starting out, um, we did a lot of market research using um, you know polls, using social media, yep. and have spent a lot of money before embarking on creating an MVP. Yep. Um, secondly, Council, I think it's important to remember that you're not expected to have all the answers. You need to not be afraid of seeking advice to fill in your knowledge or skills gaps. You know, there's definitely no shame or failure in admitting that you're wrong about something. And I think social entrepreneurs need to be really open and flexible, um, particularly in the early stages. And it's important to remember that at the end of the day, you know, it's a journey and it's ultimately about creating lasting social impact. Yeah, yeah. And thirdly is courage. Third C is courage. And for me, that's it's a really big one. You know, given my background in law, I found it hard to, you know, take the leap into this sector. Um, you know, lawyers are trained to be very, very risk averse. Yeah. And the concept of, you know, a lean startup or an MVP is just so alien to the law. Mm. I think if you ponder over something for long enough, anything can become a bad idea. You know, you can talk yourself out of anything. At some stage, you just really have to take that leap. Yeah. There's a poem that I love by Linda Ellis called The Dash, which talks about how on your death notice there will be two dates, uh, the date you were born and the date you died, and these will be separated by a small dash, a simple dash, a tiny punctuation mark, which will represent your entire life. <laughs> so the poem forces you to, you know, the poem really forces people, force me anyway, to think about the question of how I'll spend my dash. So I think the message for me is not to sit too long on an idea and to take the leap. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's some great advice. So what other inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across then recently, Anne, which you believe are really creating some excellent positive social impact? Oh, how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I've got, a, we've over a thousand organizations signed up to our portal. And so every day I have the pleasure of talking to people doing really, really inspiring things all around the country. I had to mention a few of them. Um, the first is Ability Mate, which some of your listeners may have heard of. It's a social enterprise that's working towards a future where custom design products can be accessed affordably and timely by people with disabilities. Mm. So what they do is they design open source solutions for assistive products. And once they've developed them, they release the blueprints to cultivate global, uh, global collaboration. 
and their model applies to lots of different devices and they've decided to begin with a focus on orthotics for children so they're mm. running a project at the moment called the magic shoes project which is incredibly expire, inspiring it's a unique collaborative project focused on life-changing 3d printed posture and mobility equipment for children with disabilities mm. and the second one which is in a totally different sphere is hello sunday morning the worldwide movement towards a you know, better drinking culture and they've all almost or actually i think they've over forty thousand people now signed up worldwide to their platform so what they do is encourage individuals to share their stories and create change in their lives through staying off alcohol it's then, an initiative that australia i think very much needed that's for sure yeah yeah and, and maybe ireland too but i think it's yeah i think it's really inspiring as a platform and it's amazing to see the traction that they've made over the last few years mm. the third organization is Gigi's flowers and i really love this one because there's great passion behind the organization i met nick the founder of Gigi's Flowers at Nexus, where I also met my co-founder, Jay. And Gigi's Flowers is a socially sustainable flower based in Canberra, and they employ young people with disabilities. And they deliver to all suburbs and can take on all kinds of projects, big and small. Nip's sister has Down syndrome, and um, just when, you, when I talk to Nip, just the passion for what she's doing really, really is infectious. So um, I encourage anybody in the Canberra area who's looking for any kind of floral arrangement, uh, hamper gift box or to give nip at Gigi's flowers a call. Excellent. I'm sure she'll appreciate the call out. So, <laughs> so to finish off then, Anne, what are the top three social enterprise books that you'd recommend to our listeners? This is a hard one. Um, the first book that I recommend is How to Change the World by David Bornstein. Um, some of your listeners may have heard about it already. It's often described as the Bible for social entrepreneurship mm. and it was one of the books recommended to me when I studied social entrepreneurship at the Centre for Social Impact in Melbourne. Excellent. And um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really good um, introductory text to the to the space. And um, the second one is "Start Something That Matters" by Blake McCoskey, who mm. is the founder of Tom's. Yeah. And what I really like about that book is that, as Blake tells a story, he's not shy in writing about the mistakes he made. So. Yeah. You know, or the difficult times that he went through, which I think takes a lot of courage because often in this, this space, people are quite hesitant to talk about their failures or, you know, things that didn't go quite right. And I think we can all learn from those. So, yeah. um, if, so that's the second book that I recommend. And the third book that I recommend is a book by Social Change Central. Am I allowed to recommend my own book? Oh, go for it. <laughs> Throw it in there. But uh, the third book is Australia's First Social Enterprise Ecosystem Handbook, which Jay and I have worked on for the last few months. So it's a free resource for social entrepreneurs and a guide to the key organisations working to build Australia's social enterprise ecosystem. And we're hoping that the handbook will be a useful, practical resource that will help social entrepreneurs to, suppose, to navigate the currently fragmented Australian social enterprise ecosystem and we also hope that the resource, as it evolves over time, will provide a platform from which to launch policy discussions about how together we can transform this currently fragmented landscape into a very cohesive and collaborative ecosystem where social enterprises can thrive. Mm. And it sounds like a great resource and those other two books as well I'll throw below in the links in the article. So Anne, you've given us some really, really great insights today. So thanks so much for your time and, and for sharing with us your experience. It's much appreciated. Thanks, Tom.
Fact Boom, you'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter. Thank you.